Greetings and salutations, sports and wrestling fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. It is I, your glorious yet humble host, the ace of Tennessee sports podcasting, for another glorious edition of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. I am back from vacation. I hope you guys have had a wonderful one. I'm back from Hawaii. My sister got married. Congratulations, of course, to Eileen and Duncan Elliott. Now, uh, just it was a beautiful ceremony there in beautiful Maui. What a great ceremony it was. Had a great time out there. Got to do a little bit of sports stuff. Uh, Duncan was taking me out uh, with my dad and his uh, stepfather to the uh, Kapalua Bay Course, which is right there in the Kapalua area uh, of Maui. The Plantation Course is where they do a lot of PGA events. It's usually like the first PGA event of the year. We didn't golf that one. We golfed the Bay Course, and the wind was just incredible. If you guys look on social media, at the Modern Day Gladiators uh, Facebook page and also uh, Twitter uh, at Michael underscore Shibley. And of course, the Modern Day Gladiators Instagram page. You can see just how incredibly windy it was. But I am happy to say I am two for two for not hitting a ball in the ocean when I have to hit it over something, which we've done. I've done a couple times. So that makes me very happy. I've lost plenty of other golf balls and plenty of other dumb ways, but not into the Pacific Ocean. So that makes me very happy. Also did some snorkeling, which was amazing. Uh, the trip there was not great. You're riding in a catamaran with the wind just going crazy. That was not fun. But again, still just a remarkable vacation. Also, if you check out the Modern Day Gladiators uh, stuff on social media, you can also check out uh, the wife and I uh, were able to sneak in to the Lahaina to sneak in. It was wide open. I mean, it, the door was unlocked. We snuck into the Lahaina Civic Center where they host the Maui Invitational and got to stand on the court there and take a couple of pictures. That was just really interesting to actually see just the little gymnasium, really, that they play basketball. You've got all these just big names in college basketball who've played there over the years and just see just how small of a, an arena it is. And just, again, a beautiful place to play college basketball. If you're going to do something over Thanksgiving, go to Maui and check out the Maui Invitational. It was fantastic. So that's some of the stuff that happened while I was on break. But of course, we're going to dive right into everything going on in the world of sports, again, here on Modern Day Gladiators on the Outlander Media Network, where, of course, you can listen to all the great shows. Uh, that we've got at Outlander Media. You can go to outlandermedia.net, check all of them out. DLC, Respawn, uh, you've got uh, Haffle, Deadbeat Radio, uh, Scared Stupid. You've got just a bunch of other just great, great shows, and we've got more coming on the way. So make sure to check all them out. Of course, wherever you get your fine podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, you can give us our five-star reviews there. Please, again, like, subscribe, share, comment, give us anything you want, any feedback. We take it, and we hopefully can implement it into the show, make it bigger, better, and badder for you. And, of course, again, those five-star reviews, that means so much if you can get those out into the algorithm and help us grow as a network because we're trying to take over the world, but we need your help to do it, so we appreciate that. But we're diving right in because, again, back from vacation in the summer – which usually means now we are less than a month away from the start of college football season, actually starting in a month, August 24th. The, I can't even talk today. I'm so excited. August 24th is Miami and Florida kicking off for the college football season. So again, this is just going to be an amazing college football season, as they all are. So of course, we're going to break down everything here on Modern Day Gladiators. You know I love making picks, and you know I'm pretty good at making those picks 
as well. We're going to have another modern day gladiators uh, group to do college football picks. So anybody who wants to play along can play along there. So I'm looking forward to that. So again, we're going to break them down. We're going to make some picks, picking uh, the winners of some of these conferences. We're going to start though, of course we got all the big conferences coming later, but we're going to start this week with the group of five. The smaller conference is the one where the highest ranked team out of those gets to participate in one of the New Year's Six Bowls. So we're going to break all of those down. So we're going to start, of course, with the American Football Conference, the American Athletic Conference, where, of course, Central Florida has been the representative the past two seasons. UCF, and again, they had that 25-game winning streak. Of course, they declared themselves national champions back in 2017, even though you know they didn't win a national championship. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. There's another story that I linked to that. And of course, last year, they had the run end when they lost in the Fiesta Bowl to LSU. And of course, uh, Mackenzie Milton, their great quarterback, was injured with a horrific injury. He almost had to have his leg amputated. That's how bad that injury was. So again, UCF, I still have them as my conference champ again in the American Athletic Conference. I don't think they're going to go undefeated this season, but I do think they've still got plenty of talent and guys that know how to win. I mean, 25 games in a row is nothing to shake a stick at when you look at the context of everything, even though, again, their schedule has not been as big and bad as schedules have been for other teams that have made runs like that. So again, they don't have Mackenzie Milton for this season, but Notre Dame transfer Brandon Wimbush, who, again, was a pretty good winner in his own right and a pretty good quarterback, has transferred in. He's going to most likely be the starting quarterback. I don't think they're going to go undefeated again this season. One of the big reasons is that Stanford, who I think is still going to be pretty darn good, Stanford's always pretty good when it comes to college football, they're coming to play in Orlando, which is, again, something that UCF has been fighting for to get some of these big schools to play them in their home stadium. So you've got that happening, but also you look at Cincinnati, South Florida, and Houston, now under new coach Dana uh, Dana Holgerson, all of those teams are still pretty darn good. They're also going to be big factors in that conference race, in that division. So you got to pay attention to that. Houston is the one out of the other, out of the uh, out of the Western division there in the American Conference. But I'm going with Memphis to get the win in the Western Conference again. They're loaded as well, and it's going to be I think three straight years that Memphis and UCF are going to play each other in the conference championship game. But I do still have UCF getting the win in that one and going on to be the American Conference champion for the third straight year. Meanwhile, moving on to Conference USA, draw out of a hat. You got about eight teams in that conference that could make a legitimate run to winning uh, the conference championship. And again, congratulations to UAB just a couple of seasons after being resurrected from having the uh, plug pulled on their program. They came back and just did an amazing job. But if I'm going to pick any of the teams out of there, maybe it's because I'm biased and from the state of Tennessee, but I'm going to go with the Blue Raiders of Middle Tennessee State University. I've got them winning the East, but I've also got them winning the conference overall. They do have to survive you know, some of those payday games. they got to go to Michigan and to Iowa. So that's something you have to consider because sometimes some of these teams that you have for these conference contenders in conference crowns and some of these smaller ones, they just can't recover from some of those big bloody losses that they have early in the season. 
But I'm going to go with them. I think it's a very balanced team. I think they've got a great shot at it. And of all, one of the big things, too, of course, schedule-wise, too, you have Marshall, another contender out of the East Division there in Conference USA. They've got Marshall at home. Out of the West, I'm going with Louisiana Tech and Skip Holtz. They are just consistent. They know how to win. They've been very, uh, just, again, perfectly capable of winning everything. I'm going to go with Louisiana Tech out of the West, but I've got the Blue Raiders being Conference USA champions. Moving to the MAC, the MACTION. you got to love those MACTION games late in the season, right in the middle of the week. Gives you something to uh, appetize you for the week ahead. But, man, you got to go, and I'm going to go with this. You, you can't go wrong with Frank Solich and what he has done. Again, he did really good things at Nebraska, but they got rid of him, and he's been at Ohio now for, it seems like, forever. But he has just been wonderfully consistent there, a constant winner, and I think he loves being there in at the uh, University of Ohio with the Bobcats. Also, he's probably got the top player in the league in quarterback Nathan Rourke. He knows how to do so much. And then out of the Western Division there in the MAC, I've got Western Michigan winning the West. They've got the best overall defense, and they've got a solid offense. But I'm going as my overall conference champion. I'm going with the Bobcats of Ohio. With They've got the best player, and they've got the best coach. Over in the Mountain West, you talk about uh, Central Florida and Memphis meeting for the third straight time in the conference championship game. I've got the same thing happening over in the Mountain West. Boise State and Fresno State, they've been the most consistent and the best teams out in that conference the last three years, and they just keep reloading even though they're losing talent. They just keep reloading. That helps because they've got some great coaching out there. Of course, Jeff Tedford at Fresno State and Harson over at Boise State. The only team that could probably throw a wrench into an epic trilogy between those uh, two teams could be Utah State. They do have Gary Anderson after, of course, a successful run at Wisconsin and then a questionable move over to Oregon State, which got him fired. Gary Anderson is back at Utah State, and he's got quarterback Jordan Love, who could be a first-round NFL draft pick, so keep an eye out on him. But they could throw a wrench into the Fresno-Boise State party when it comes to that conference race. But I'm going to go with Boise State and the Broncos on the Smurf turf, getting the win there. Meanwhile, in the Sun Belt, I'm going to go with Appalachian State. Again, this is a lot of consistency and seeing teams that have been consistent winners. You can't go wrong with a lot of that, especially with teams in these smaller conferences because a lot of them go through upheavals and you have seniors, they all graduate, but you talk about returning talent. This helps because Scott Satterfield, the coach for Appalachian State for a while now, is now off to Louisville, where he's the new head coach for the Cardinals. But uh, Elia uh, Drinkwitz, he has come in from NC State, and he. This is what this is what you love when you are a new coach in your first head coaching gig. When you've got 17 starters returning from an already conference champion, and that's what Appalachian State has. So again, they're probably going to win their fourth straight title. I think the only one that could really stop them is Arkansas State, the Red Wolves, another consistent winner in the Sun Belt and the fact that they don't have to play Appalachian State during the regular season. I think that helps, but I do have Appalachian State convincingly winning their fourth straight Sun Belt championship. So that's, again, what has happened. Those are my picks when you have all of these teams just going at it 
in their respective conferences. Love that small conference play. Love the battles, especially when one of them is fighting to see who is going to be the Group of Five representative in a New Year's Six Bowl. And if I had to pick right now, I'm going to go with Boise State. I think the Broncos have the team. Again, they are loaded and ready to go. They do have, of course, tough beginning of the schedule. I believe they play Florida State in Jacksonville to start the season, but I think they can recover nicely from that and be a good ranking team as the season goes on. I just think the American uh, champion UCF, they could make a big run. I could have see them, not surprisingly, again as a representative in the New Year's Six Bowl for the Group of Five. But again, I think these other teams are ready to pounce and do something in that conference. So they might win the conference, but I don't see them coming out of it, again, clean like they have in years past. So those are my picks. And again, let me know on social media, Michael underscore Shibley on Twitter or the Modern Day Gladiators pages on Instagram and on Facebook. Let me know what you think. Of course, if you disagree with me, I want to hear it and we'll see who's right at the end of the season. Meanwhile, of course, as now we start previewing and talking about college football now that the World Cup is over and NBA free agency has quieted down and we're now a month away from college football, of course, it means overreaction season is in full effect. And of course, the first person who's causing a lot of that overreaction and going crazy is Jim Harbaugh there at the University of Michigan. And of course, he's got a lot riding now that Urban Meyer is gone the fact that Michigan, again, has still not beaten Ohio State since Harbaugh has been there, and the fact that Michigan still hasn't gotten a conference championship or even a division championship because of that, that is something to look at. But of course, he was talking at the Big Ten Media Days and on the podcasts and reports leading up to the Big Ten Media Days talking about Urban Meyer and the fact that he he said, and th- th- these are pretty much the quotes, he said, Urban Meyer is a great coach, he's won three national championships, but controversy has followed Urban Meyer everywhere he has been. And of course, the Ohio State fans just went bonkers with that and were hemming and hawing and complaining. The problem is, as Jim Harbaugh said later, he's not wrong. You look at Urban Meyer's track record, and again, this is called looking at the whole context, looking at the data. Again, use your brains, take off your team colored tinted glasses and look at it from the broader perspective instead of just the little bubble you find yourself in. It's what I try and do as a diehard Tennessee fan is back away for a little bit and look at it as a whole. So again, when you look at what he said, he's not wrong in any of that. I mean, of course, you look at what happened when he was at Ohio State. The whole Zach Smith incident that we talked about on this show is the first episode of Modern Day Gladiators. If you go back into the archives, which we of course have everywhere you find our podcast or at outlandermedia.net, you will see I talked about all of this stuff with Zach Smith and the whole abuse scandal and how the fact that Urban Meyer what he knew and when did he know it, the whole part of that. He was suspended for three games because of that. But then, of course, you also have to look at what happened when he was at the University of Florida, where you see he had 31 players arrested in six years at Florida, and some of them on some serious charges, and a lot of them just went away. When you look at, obviously, one of the big ones you have to look at when you look at the track record at Florida was Aaron Hernandez. You know, 
the guy who was in jail for murder and the fact that he committed suicide and all of those other things. You take a look at, if you listen to the podcast Gladiator that was done by the Boston Globe, and you look at the rise and fall of Aaron Hernandez. I think it's a six-episode podcast. They did a great job tracing his history, but one of them is devoted to Aaron Hernandez's time at the University of Florida and how the University of Florida, and don't think that other programs have a guy like this. They've got a lawyer who can just make charges go away and disappear. You don't, but again, it's not just Florida. I'm not throwing Florida completely under the bus. You know, places like my beloved Tennessee, Alabama, Texas, USC, any big time college football program has a guy that can just make stuff like that go away. So that's not surprising. But again, Harbaugh, the Ohio State fans are just going nuts, and of course they're just pointing to the record. You can point at the record all you want, but again, they're not wrong when you look at things like that. So just again, keep that in mind. Use perspective. Use your brain for more than five, you know, for longer than five seconds. Check the sources. Think about it. Don't just jump to these conclusions because you want to be the first one to get a tweet out there that you're angry about something. Don't get so butthurt about it that that happens. Meanwhile, one of the things that Harbaugh also said around Big Ten Media Days that was at least concerning to me was talking about, again, the NCAA transfer rules, especially for college football. For the most part, you have these rules where if you've already graduated from the university, you can go wherever you want unless a coach is really annoying and a pain in the ass and decides to put a block on certain places that you can go, like in conference or to a rival, whatever. But if you've already graduated and you still have a year of eligibility, you can go complete uh, graduate school somewhere else as long as they don't have a degree at your university, whatever. It's the graduate transfer rule. But then, of course, the other stuff is sitting a year out unless you get a hardship scholarship, which a lot of them have talked about with uh, mental illness has been a big one with that. You had guys like, of course, Fields, who was at Georgia, and now he's the most likely starting quarterback at Ohio State, was one of those who got a big hardship scholarship or hardship waiver from the NCAA. So Harbaugh, I love the idea that he said where every player should get a one-time transfer without having to sit out a year. I understand that. But what Harbaugh was also talking about, though, was he's worried about the dishonesty with talking about mental health issues when it comes to a hardship waiver. Now, see, this is a very... It's, it's, a, it's a very interesting line that you have to follow because, again, mental illness is a real thing in this country. You can't treat mental illness like you can a lot of other physical uh, illnesses or ailments. You can't just rub some dirt on it and get back out there. That's not how mental illness works, and it's a big thing that people just either don't seem to understand or want to care about as much in this country when you talk about depression, anxiety, or other mental illness. Uh, issues that people have. And again, one of the things you also need to remind yourself on all of this is Jim Harbaugh could just leave whenever he wants. He could, you know, University of Alabama, Nick Saban decides to leave for whatever reason, and then Alabama calls and offers Jim Harbaugh $20 million a year to coach at Alabama. He could just up and leave right now at the University of Michigan and go do that. A football player can't do that immediately despite some of these hardship things. So I do love the idea of getting a player getting a one-time transfer without having to sit out a year. But again, 
you need to watch it when it comes to some of these mental illness things because that's something that some of these guys really have issues with. So pay attention to that and watch what you're saying with all of that. And again, I we've talked about uh, team doctors and things like that on this show before. I also want an independent commission of doctors to look at the mental illness. You need to have that. You can't have, I don't think sometimes one's either attached to the university or almost attached to the student athlete personally. You need to have an independent third party group take a look at those things. That's my opinion. And again, follow me on Twitter, Michael underscore Shibley. Voice your opinion if you disagree with it or have your own ideas of what we should do about hardship waivers with when it comes to NCAA transfers. Let me know about that and also in the comments section, of course, in this podcast. But we're going to take a break, but we'll be back with shibbles and bits and everything going on in the world of professional wrestling right after this. You're listening to Modern Day Gladiators on the Outlander Media Network. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Modern Day Gladiators. You hear the music. It's time for Shivels and Bits, talking about everything else going on in the world of sports that you might have missed or, hey, got bumped by other coverage, any other, just a bunch of stuff. Anyway, I don't I don't know why I keep explaining that to you. You guys, my loyal audience, you know what we're talking about here with Shivels and Bits, but let's dive right in. And, of course, we're talking the British Open, which is actually the final major this year, of course, because they moved the PGA up, so... This was now Glory's last shot, as they used to call the PGA, but now it's the British Open, or the Open Championship, and it went to Ireland's Shane Lowry, who is a now first-time winner of a major. He won cruising to victory by six shots at uh, Northern Ireland's Royal Portrush, Portrush, if I could talk today. It's the first time in 68 years that it's been in Northern Ireland, and the last time, uh, and that was the last time the British Open was off of uh, either England or Scotland, so it was good to see it there. Uh, this was the first time since 1996, though, that the Open champion was over par in the final round. He shot a 1 over 72, but that didn't matter as the, the weather was just awful there for the final round. No one in the last 12 groups broke par. And of course, this was missing some star power. Of course, Rory from Northern Ireland, he missed the cut as well as Tiger and Phil Mickelson all missed the cut. So it was good to have a story like this with a guy from Ireland, not Northern Ireland, but he's from that same island, which he talked about very well. And I thought he was very, you know, vocal in talking about, again, his Irish heritage and everything like that. So it was great to see that um, but again, congratulations to Shane Lowry. He was able to hold on to that lead. People thought he might not be able to because he has come back to the field before. But hey, he was able to do it, and congratulations to him. But again, your MVP of the golf season, unless something really weird happens in the next couple of months as they wrap up uh, this year in golf, Brooks Kepka has got to be your player of the year. He, of course, won the PGA Championship but then he was second in the Masters, second in the U.S. Open, and he finished tied for fourth in this one. It's his fifth straight major. He was in the top five. So, again, Brooks Kepka is definitely my golfer 
of the year. But again, congratulations to Shane Lowry. Of course, we always talk about winners first here on Modern Day Gladiator. Speaking of a winner and a champion, or at least a self-proclaimed champion in the now-defunct Alliance of American Football, or the AF, Steve Spurrier, uh, he posted this on Twitter. He's been going around at SEC Media Days. He was wearing a AAF championship ring uh, for going 7-1 as the coach of the Orlando Apollos. Again, he had two more wins than any of the other teams in the now defunct league. Because just remember, the AF went out of business. That's been a horrible story of things that had happened at the end of that defunct league. But again... Since they didn't have a playoffs, he's claiming they were the champs, and he's more than welcome to do that. I honestly respect him claiming that championship more than I do Central Florida claiming that they won the 2017 national championship because in college football, you got a playoff, and you know you had a winner in it. So I'm going with them as the champion, even though because I still think if UCF got to play in a big level like that, I think Alabama or Clemson or Georgia, or whoever was in the rest of that playoff, Oklahoma, any of those four teams would have beaten them, I'm sure, by three touchdowns at that point. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. Also talking in football, current Redskins running back Adrian Peterson has now, it's been reported, he is deep in debt after making over $100 million in his NFL career. Uh, It's come to light as he's being sued for defaulting on a $5.2 million loan. And of course, His uh, representatives have said he had trusted the wrong people. And again, I talked about this last week on the bonus episode talking about all the 30 for 30 uh, episodes that they've had that ESPN has done. Watch broke when you talk about all these athletes going broke and making, again, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars playing in any major pro sports and talking about trusting the wrong people and giving so much money to friends and family and hangers on, man, that's why you always talk about keep that circle small. I know you want to do right by so many other people, but you've got to get it with right people. And again, that's easy to vet now when you talk about things like that. So, and again, as they they even talked about, don't invest in so many of these bad investments man put so much of that money away as they said in the in the thing and i talked about it last week on the podcast it's not sexy to buy mutual funds but guess what that means you're not going to have to work retail jobs or do some other just menial job to make ends meet after all the money goes away so again that's something to keep in mind and we'll see what happens with adrian peterson as this goes along. But again, it's just amazing to see how much money, because I, I love to believe if I had $100 million, if I'd accumulated that by the age of 36 that I am now, I'd be set for life. I wouldn't have to worry about a thing with $100 million. But we'll have to see at that point. Uh, moving on, though, to some other just kind of sad news when you look in the world of sports. This one was a sad story. 28-year-old junior welterweight boxer, uh, Maxim Dadashev, he died uh, yesterday as of this recording as a result of brain injuries that he suffered from an 11th round knockout loss to Subriel Matias in a boxing match Friday in Maryland. Again, just one of those things that unfortunately happens in boxing. It was one of those where, because these are the ones where you see a guy with a strong chin, but he's taking a lot of punishment, because this stuff doesn't happen in where you got like a second round knockout for the most part. It happens in some of these drawn out fights where a guy looks like he's still in it, 
and that's unfortunately what happened here. And it, again, what's a sad story as well is Dadashev, who was you know a pretty good prospect for a long time, was essentially fighting for citizenship. He was working to get his green card and make enough money boxing uh, in the United States enough to bring his wife and his very young son out of Russia and to America. And again, it's one of those things when you look at what people want to do to come to this country, no matter what your opinions are, people wanting to come here and do things that they can't do where they're from, where they live. So again, it, it, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to see this. And again, hopefully uh, things are going to be okay for, again, his now widow and their young son there in Russia. Just, again, a very tragic story uh, to see happening. Uh, meanwhile, also in boxing, you look at Manny Pacquiao, 40 years old. He defeated a guy 10 years his junior, Keith Thurman, who was undefeated, got his first loss in a split decision. Uh, Manny Pacquiao won, uh, won Thurman's welterweight title at the MGM Grand Garden Arena over the weekend. Very exciting fight. Thurman was knocked down in the first round, but again, just came back, and it was, again, a split decision. I had it, when I saw it, I had it a little bit more in Pacquiao's favor. I had it about what ESPN had at 117-111. to 111. Pe- uh, The judges had it a little closer, and then, of course, one judge went for Thurman. But again, congratulations. Anytime at this point, and I'm 36, anytime you're over 40 and can do a great athletic feat like Pacquiao just did winning a title at 40, my hat's off to you. And of course, this led to Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather exchanging barbs on social media, which will lead to nothing. A match already happened. It was terrible. That match should have happened six years prior to when it happened. And now I don't want to see that fight again. Because it was terrible, and again, I don't want to see it. It, It's going to lead to nothing, and I just hope a rematch doesn't happen because it's not worth my money at that point. Uh, Wrapping up shibbles and bits here with a story from the world of baseball. The uh, The Atlantic League, it's a minor league system that's also owned by Major League Baseball. It will continue to use robot umpires for the rest of the season. What these are essentially... It's a computer system that works a lot like Doppler radar when it talks about the strike zone. And what it does is then it sends a signal to an iPhone that the umpire has in his pocket behind home plate. He still looks like the regular umpire crouching there and watching the strike zone. But then it sends a signal to tell him if it's a ball or a strike. And the umpire makes the ruling based on that. Now, again, it's not perfect. The umpire's still there to override certain things with the computer, like a bounced ball that happens to bounce into the strike zone, which does happen. So he's there. And it also doesn't evaluate check swings. Again, this is brought in to speed up the game. And I am all for this. We've talked about this before on the show. You want to make baseball faster. They've got a ratings problem already and an attendance problem that we have talked about besides the fact that people are getting hit by line drives where there should be netting, but the fact that things like this are happening where, again, you're not going to have players then looking back and getting ejected for arguing balls and strikes because a computer, which has your actual strike zone, is going to be there. You've seen it now in tennis where the players can challenge where the ball lands on the line. So besides the Serena Williams issue that she had, but again, that had nothing to do with where the ball was landing at the last U.S. Open, you're not going to have a McEnroe meltdown or anything like that arguing about whether the ball was in or out because you can always review it at all of these events, and it is very precise. If you've looked at anything with tennis, I mean, those cameras and everything covers every centimeter 
of that court. And you can do that in the strike zone, and that would make the game go so much faster. Yes, do umpires still need to be there for certain rulings? Absolutely. But again, this will make the game go faster, and then you're not going to have guys like you know, Cowboy Joe West, who just decides that he's the most important part of the game when no one's there to see the referee. I say it in wrestling, any type of referee. Your job is to make the ruling and shut up. No one's there to see Blue or any other type of ref. You you don't want to see him. I don't want to see him in, re- in wrestling. Ref bump is one of the things I can't stand the most. That and the distraction roll-up are about two of the things I can't stand the most in action in the world of professional wrestling. But again, I'm all for having robot umpires and making this game go much faster. So that makes me happy. And again, the Atlantic League is now going to continue to use this for the rest of their season. They debuted it at the All-Star game that they had. They're going to keep it going, and I'm sure they're going to tweak it. Even Don Manningly, I think, came out and said, no, this needs to be in Major League Baseball right now. So I'm excited for it. And again, I hope that continues. So that's going to wrap up Shibbles and Bits. Thank you guys as always for listening, but we're going to move into the world of professional wrestling. This is going to be a very interesting week in the world of the WWE for a couple of reasons. The first big reason is the fact that you had the Raw reunion that happened this last Monday night. We had a bunch of of stars from from yesteryear, including Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, and Steve Austin back making appearances. You had DX reuniting for the 8 billionth time. Billy Gunn, no surprise, he was absent because, again, he is now a trainer with AEW. So he wasn't able to make it. But then you also, of course, had the 24-7 title changing heads multiple times backstage. You had Patterson Briscoe. You had Ted DiBiase uh, paying for the championship. You had, uh, you know, Alundra Blaze getting paid for winning it. Uh, things like that. And, of course, again, Kofi Kingston's the one who ends up with it at the end of the night anyway. So that was a lot of fun. That was probably the most interesting thing that happened. But, again, it was cool to see those guys back on Raw. I loved seeing Bray Wyatt's fiend character uh, take out Mick Foley with the mandible claw, which again is something I would hope a lot of times they do more on these reunion shows, which is use some of these legends to put over the talent that's actually active on your roster and making them look good. That's how you build that stuff. So I was excited to see things like that. Um, Again, it, it, was, it was fun, and it's also popped the biggest rating that the WWE's had all year. It's still just a barely above $3 million, but hey, it's something. Meanwhile, on SmackDown, you had a lot more build towards SummerSlam. Uh, Brock versus Seth Rollins had already been announced, but then you've got some other big matches. You've got Kofi Kingston versus Randy Orton, which should be a really good match uh, for the WWE Championship at SummerSlam, which, by the way, is only three weeks away at this point. And then you have Kevin Owens versus Shane, where if Kevin Owens loses, he's gone from WWE forever. So we'll see where that ends up. But at least they're starting to make some moves towards SummerSlam. Again, three weeks away, and there's a lot of the card that has not been filled out at all. And it's supposed to be your second biggest pay-per-view besides WrestleMania, which also kind of gives us a direction towards what's going to happen with WrestleMania. So we'll see what happens in the coming weeks. But again, what's happening on Thursday, July 25th, is that now the WWE, again, a publicly traded company, it has to release its quarter two numbers on revenue and everything to its shareholders. So this is going to be something very interesting to see. The stock 
again, around the beginning of the year was at a point where it was near, you know, back around WrestleMania time was around almost $100 a share. And currently right now it's at, I think it is, what is it currently? As I pull up my phone, it is only at about $68 a share. So, Again, you're seeing that ratings have gone down. They have not rebounded and stayed there. So, again, we're going to see what happens. It'll be really interesting to see what the stock price does at that point and what investors are as we move toward NBC, Universal with Raw getting the new big deal to say on USA, and SmackDown getting Fox. And, of course, you talk about numbers like that. AEW had just announced, it just announced right before I started recording this, that they're going to start on TNT on Wednesday nights starting October 2nd live. So that's... It's going to be huge as well. But again, what's the WWE going to do? One of the big things, too, they've always talked about is, and one of the things I wish they would do more, is talk about having the man. And I'm not talking about Becky Lynch, even though Becky Lynch could be this person. But it's someone that is the biggest name in the company, where they've moved away from that. Because for years, of course, it was Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, John Cena. You had someone who was the guy. But it seems like now they've moved so much away from having somebody like that where you want the WWE to be the biggest person. But that's not drawing. You've got to have someone at the top of that card that people really want to pay money to see win. Or, if they're a heel like Ric Flair with the NWA, see him get their butt beat and pay a lot of money to keep doing that. But they're not wanting to make that. That's why they've had so much 50-50 booking over the past few years, because they don't want someone to rise to that level because they're worried they're going to do what The Rock did and go make movies instead, or John Cena now who's gone and is only there uh, very little at this point because he's busy making movies. So you have this dynamic And it bothers me in a lot of ways because, again, I think if you have somebody like that, whether – and they've whiffed on Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns really being that guy. I would love to see someone like the Velveteen Dream come up and just take it by storm or Ricochet, someone with just immense talent could be that guy or even Becky Lynch. But they've cooled her off so much since WrestleMania that it's just almost there in this holding pattern. But, again – if Fox and NBC Universal are worried about their ratings at this point, th- these TV deals could change. So that's something, again, to keep in mind. So I'm really interested to see what's going to happen with these quarterly numbers and what ends up going on with that. But again, I still think some of it needs to be you've got to have a mainstream star and someone be there. And yes, they might leave, but then you have them put someone over and bring them up as the next person or next group of guys where you have these periods. And yes, Brock Lesnar's your universal champion again, but to me that doesn't count because he's not there every week in and out and not doing those type of things. He's, you know, wrestling moose on his property up in northern Minnesota the rest of the time instead of being there and wrestling. So that's, again, something to keep in mind, and we'll see what happens when it comes to there. One of the things, though, now I want to talk about, of course, where you've got your great wrestling is the G1 Climax. That's happening, and that makes me incredibly happy because I love the G1 Climax. There is storyline involved in it, but it's mostly just great wrestling. We're through eight days of this... Of this uh, 
of this 20-day marathon that they have, which is, again, just amazing to see. So each block has wrestled four times, and the ratings stand like this. In block A, at the top, you've got Kenta, which is the former Hideo Itami, uh, Kazuchika Okada, they both have eight points, and then below that, Lance Archer, Evil Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kota Ibushi all have four, Will Ospreay, Sonata, Zack Sabre Jr., and Bad Luck Fale with two. Over in block B, you've got John Moxley, the former Dean Ambrose, at eight points. And then behind him, Juice Robinson with six. Tomohiro Ishii, Shingo Takagi, Toru Yano, and Taichi, and Tetsuya Naito with four. And then Jeff Cobb, Hiroki Goto, and Jay White all have two. So it has been really interesting. It's surprising how the great run that Kenta has been on. They've been doing some great things. And again, to the people he's beaten, he beat Kota Ibushi in day one, and he's also beaten Hiroshi Tanahashi straight up by pinfall. So that's been great to see. John Moxley has made a great run in the B block. Again, I don't have him winning. I've got Naito coming back, but Naito got off to a terrible start, losing both to Toruyano and Taichi. So again, we'll have to wait and see what happens. I still have uh, Naito getting the win in the block, but we'll see where this all shapes up. But Again, I love the G1, love the great wrestling, love everything involved in that. And that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Modern Day Gladiators. I will see you next week. Until then, too sweet. Love you. See you next time. (laughs) 